My name is Erin Bross, and this is The Dirt, Confessions of a Tree Planter. Art for this podcast comes from another tree planter, Bethany Davis, as part of her illustration series, Follow the Trees. This is a podcast about tree planting as a reforestation practice in the silviculture industry. Tree planters are a collective of people who spend much of their lives replenishing a logged area with new forest. However, tree planting is so much more than the physical act of planting thousands of seedlings in the ground day after day as a job. It is about the connections, experiences, bonds, and memories that last a lifetime. The dirt is a place to shed light on the culture that is mostly contained within those who have stuck a shovel in the ground. It is meant to dive deep into all things tree planting as a place for those to reminisce, relate, or to learn. So wherever you're coming from, as any tree planter would say, may the planting gods be with you. Hey folks, so coming at you all a little earlier, um, I've sort of been releasing an episode every every two weeks, like every other week. Um, but yeah, I, I'm releasing this episode now to just help build a better awareness about what's coming. Um, and so what's coming is if you are in or around the greater Victoria area, um, which I know a lot of planters are, or even up island, um, just on the island in general, even around the lower mainland, it's only a quick ferry right away. Um, there is going to be a screening next week um, for the documentary Forest for the Trees. Um, and so this documentary, of course, is the brainchild of Rita Leisner. And so that's who my interview is with today. Um, yeah, and we had a great chat and this conversation really covers Rita's own planting career um, and how it kind of led her into, you know, a really successful career um, doing photography and journalism like all over the world um, and in some, you know, really interesting and unique places that not everybody goes to. Um, but what we really focus on here more than anything is, um, you know, how the 10 years that Rita spent in planting really, um, how it kind of just like played out in other ways in the rest of her life, you know, how she's still a planter in many ways. And, and yeah, she has wanted to do this project for a long, long time. Um, and now it's finally come to fruition. And, you know, just due to the state of the world, um, the film has been out and it has been winning awards and other film festivals, but they've all been sort of virtual. And so this is the first one anyways in Canada um, that's going to be in person at the Victoria Film Festival. Um, and so I'm going to have details all about this in the show notes. Um, and I'm going to be sharing it on social media. So please share around, promote if you know anybody that's in and around Victoria. I know she's shooting to have an audience of planters um, because she's had one other in-person screening um, in New York. But of course, there's not that many tree planters in New York. So um, yeah, if we can get an audience together of planters in Victoria, that'd be really, really rad. Um, so yeah. So with that being said, um, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation um, and definitely check out the details that I'll have in the show notes for how to find out more about the film and also about the photo book um, that has also been released as a part of this whole project. Um, it's very possible that you guys would have seen the article, um, which I'm also going to find and link in the notes. Um, it was a, from a couple of years ago and I remember seeing it. 
of sort of equating planting to a war zone. And there was um, a photo of a female planter um, that was published as a part of it. So um, yeah, that is actually like part of Rita's work because what I didn't realize and what you guys will hear about in the conversation is how many years she spent working on this project. Um, so yeah, so, you know, another exciting planting documentary um, because of course we had the release of One Million Trees a few years ago. And so, yeah, you know, this is kind of a different lens, a different perspective, a different take. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this conversation um, and you can get a bit of background on the film and how it was done and a bit about Rita. And then hopefully you'll be able to watch the film next week when it's playing in the Victoria Film Festival. Um, and definitely, you know, even if you're not there, you can watch it virtually wherever you are. Um, you know, definitely take the time to um, vote um, for the, the Reader's um, or the, the Viewer's Choice Award, whatever it's called, that thing. Um, and that will help her to get the film more exposure to in the future. So once again, planters supporting planters. Um, I always like to emphasize that. So yeah, enjoy this conversation and um, check out all of the information in the show notes and you know about a week after so in a few weeks i'm also going to be sharing an interview from one of the planters in the film so just as a little you know highlight into um, the next episode that will be coming as well so enjoy hey rita uh, welcome to the show hey aaron i'm so happy to be here yeah, no, I'm glad we've uh, finally reconnected and like divine timing to get you on here. Of course, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, but yeah, why don't we just start with uh, you telling the listeners a little bit about who you are? So my name is Rita Leisner, and uh, I'm on this show because I planted trees. And I also uh, have made a feature documentary film about tree planting, and I have a book about tree planting, a photography book, and a big photo exhibition about tree planting called Forest for the Trees. Uh, hopefully a lot of you have heard of it. But, uh, but I planted trees from 1984 to 1993. I started when I was 20 years old. I didn't get a tree planting job the first year I tried because it was harder for women to get jobs in those days. And I had a lot of uh, folks, a number of folks say, oh, sorry, we don't hire women. And that was a real constant in a lot of my life at the time. And one of the only job, kinds, of, kinds of jobs I could get at that age, and I think this may be still partly true, is there aren't that many options when you don't have a lot of skills. So I was being offered jobs as, you know, a hostess in a restaurant. And if you knew me, you'd know how ill-suited I am to that. Not that I'm inhospitable, but um, the idea of being told, you know, oh, you have to wear a dress. And, you know, in those days they could say, oh, you, you know, you should be wearing makeup. You'd be so much prettier and things like that. And I just found that, really awful. So I ended up getting a job as a bike courier. And that was kind of great, my first year in university. And then my sister, who's four years older than me, went to Western University and she was on the ski team. And, you know, a lot of skiers plant trees and uh, they're well suited to it because they have super strong legs. But as we know, you get tree planting jobs because you know people with tree planting jobs. And that was especially true in the early years. 
So someone on my sister's ski team had a small crew out in BC near Prince George and she planted uh, for one year and then they agreed to hire her little sister. So that's how I got my first job. It was out near British Columbia, out, out near Prince George for a company called Roots. I don't mind naming it. I don't think it exists. Oh yeah, no, my dad planted for Roots in 81 actually. Oh yeah, what's your yeah. dad's name? Uh, Steve Bross. Wow, I yeah, he only would have been there that one summer because he was timber cruising the next few years. But um, oh, okay. Yeah, and but he was. Oh, yeah. sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say he was there that year, and it was yeah, it was just a crew of them, I think. Yeah, a very small crew. So my my first crew was me and twelve guys, and uh, and they were great. I mean, it was uh, it was a. I mean, they were great. The planting was brutal. I the contracts were very rough. And the pay was low, and um, we we basically drove our ragtag uh, uh, convoy of vehicles up roads that no normal vehicle should have been on. Very steep uh, roads that you know, if we had fallen, well, that still happens. If we had fallen off the side of the road, we would have died. But and then we would go kind of deep into the cut block. And just stay there, like pitch our tents. We we didn't have any big crew tents. We didn't have a cook. We didn't have generators. We had nothing. You know, we had propane, uh, so we could cook. We could heat up stuff, but we didn't really have a lot of stuff because uh, it just wasn't that organized. Like lunch was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, like every day. That's it. I think I would have four of them. And I, I still weirdly love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, and, uh, and we just pitched up camp for 21 days, my first ever tree planting contract. And we had no clean water. There was a creek and uh, the water had uh, Jardia in it. And some people did get Jardia. They got uh. really, really sick. So what we did was we just put poured bleach into the water because bleach will actually kill the bacteria. So we just, we put bleach in the water so we could drink it. It was very hard to bathe because you're just kind of bathing in these freezing cold creeks, but you kind of did. Um, yeah, and that was it, you know, it was pretty raw. And uh, uh, the shovels were bigger. The shovels kept getting smaller as the years went by and you know how much we love our shovels. So uh, yeah, it was brutal. And, and I didn't go back after that first year. Uh, it, I mean, it, we, no, why, I just thought, why, why would anybody do this? It was brutal and there was no money really, um, particularly as a rookie. I mean, maybe, I, I don't think I'm particularly a slow learner but uh did i make back the money i spent on all my gear i'm not sure uh so the next year i worked as bike courier again and then i met people who planted trees who liked it and i thought well either they're crazy or i missed something mm -hmm. so i tried it again and that year i went out with a company called Outland in Ontario. So I didn't have to go as far, it was near Thunder Bay uh, and, and actually had a great year. So that, the, that changed my whole attitude toward planting. And then I went back another eight seasons after that, I think. 
um, and I became a crew boss. I planted for, I think, another four years, and then eventually I crew bossed. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about sexism and tree planting, and I don't blame any particular company because society was just like that. Um, but uh, I applied for foreman jobs over and over again. And I was like, you know, planter of the year, whatever I could all, like I was a good planter and I would train guys how to plant. And the next year they would be my supervisor. And, uh, and it's just the attitude was just like, women can't handle it. Like they can plant, you know, okay, women can plant. Well, they couldn't take planting away from us because the numbers showed, you know, like, yeah, you can, you know, tree planting, it's not completely equitable because you can be given better land or you can be allowed to get away with bad trees if your numbers are high or whatever. I mean, it's not 100% uh, what you, you uh, recognition for your work, but it's pretty close. So no one can deny that women can plant a fuck of a lot of trees. And I love that about it. I love that about being a bike courier too, where no one can say, Oh, you can't do it because you're a woman because there or whatever you're there doing it so um that's still one of the things i love about tree planting as a concept and uh and what i love about the work i do now as an artist and a, and a filmmaker like you have to deliver the goods you can't say oh i put in an eight hour day but i didn't make any photographs and i still get paid the same it's like no you have to deliver and uh so, and I love the community. Um, I don't know if you want to interrupt me for more questions because the well, rest of it, everybody knows the rest yeah, of it yeah, is yeah. why everybody plants trees. But that was the early story that I hated it. Well, I didn't hate it, but it was just, it was incomprehensible that anyone would want to do that more than once. And then yeah. You know, no, and it's it's interesting, like your experience at Roots um, was definitely similar to my dad's in terms of the conditions and everything. Um, he loved it, on the other hand, but but yeah. I'm really curious, like how, you know, because you mentioned having a hard time getting hired um, at that time. So like, how did your sister get the job then? Like, how did she get she the in? Someone, she had a friend on her. She had an in. Oh, okay. I mean, I think that's still the case. She was mm -hmm. on a ski team. Mm -hmm. was someone on her ski team at West Right. Park. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, then so she kind of like had, so she obviously enjoyed it that first year and kept did, going. Although, yeah, for yeah. the longest time, I kind of, well, still, I kind of forget that she only planted one year. Um, but you know how it, how it is with planting, like, it's like people who planted only one year to me they're still as much as part of the club i i like mm. yes there's there's a lot to be said for long-term veterans you know and uh, yeah well you can get there's sort of like that vet syndrome in like your second and third year where you know you've done it at least once and yeah you think you think that you're like you know king shit and whatever like you think that you're like a vet I feel like everybody goes through that I'm not even like you know um outcasting right. certain people I feel like that happens to everybody yeah. and so. then you meet someone who's been doing it for like because I know a couple of people who started the same time I did and they're still planting mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh I mean they are uh they're masters right I mean I think as we all know there's it's much more complicated than just having a, a one first season and learning one form of terrain and being able to plant well in that. And then, you know, the next year you go in the lands totally different and you have to learn all over again. And, you know, you meet these long-term veterans and they're like, 
you know, masters of microsite selection, you know, and they can, you put them anywhere and they're so technically good at planting and they just, uh, you know, it's a whole other kind of level of understanding of where they are and the, and the terrain. And uh, I mean, that's something mm -hmm. most people never get to that point, right? But uh, yeah, uh, so I'm curious, um, you know, you mentioned you started out in BC um, and then you went to Ontario. So like the remainder of those years where you said you, um, you know, planted for a while longer and then eventually were able to get into management. Did you stay in Ontario? Did you venture out elsewhere in Canada? Back and forth a lot, actually. Like uh, actually my, my floss, my second last season was in BC, um, planted in Alberta. <clears throat> Manitoba, Saskatchewan. I think I planted in every province west of Ontario. Okay. Never in Quebec, which I regret. I wish I'd planted in Quebec, just so and uh, east, just to say that I could do all the provinces. But I think it would have been fun to be on a French camp. Mm -hmm. um, but but half at least in Ontario, and I mean it was just con it was convenient too, right? To only have to go to to uh, Thunder Bay it was a lot easier commute. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I made when I when I decided to work on the film, I chose BC because well it would be more photogenic and that's very important when you're making mm -hmm. pictures. No offense, um, Northern Ontario. <laughs> no, no offense, Ontario. I don't know. Uh, well, fewer bugs. Well, yeah, I was I was just thinking that too. That would have been horrendous to try and shoot in. So, like, no offense to the rest of Canada, but also a little bit. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Bug. Um, but the main thing was Garth Hadley, the owner of Coast Range uh, re uh, Contracting, who's been on your show. Mm -hmm. And Garth yep. and I planted together in the 90s. And uh, we'd stayed friends. I mean, very occasionally. I think I talked to him three times since we planted trees over mm -hmm. the years. Like, occasionally he would come to Toronto and look me up. And uh, I, I'm digressing now, but like, like I happen to be, we both happen to be in New York at the same time in October of 2015. So we're like six years, more than six years ago now. And I had just come back from Palestine. I was in New York because I was having an exhibition of work I'd made in Afghanistan. And, you know, some of your audience know, but most not. I, after tree planting, I became a documentary photographer and I spent quite a bit of time working in war zones. Yeah, and, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get into that too. Yeah, I and I was, that. I was I was kind of done with it, and uh, uh, and I ran and Garth saw on Facebook that I was in New York, and we got together, and uh, um, I know I'm kind of off the. Street. No, no, I'm gonna ask you a question um, about when you worked with. Well, I could ask right now. Um, okay when you worked with Garth, because, um, I mean, some of the listeners may already know, we're just going to like discuss this right now. Cause I feel like it. Um, but I've known Garth since I was a baby. Like I grew up, um, I knowing know Garth I because I, I thought I listened to that podcast. Yeah. Cause he, I don't, maybe I didn't mention it on the podcast, but I've known Garth since I was a little kid because he worked for my mom when he planted and uh like my mom would have been they would have been her contracts a lot of the time that he was doing um 
mom? Yeah, well, her name's Sarah Bross. Um, and yeah, this would have been up in Northern Ontario, like in and around Manitowoc mostly, but they would have been her contracts um, through Outland, through Brinkman, through, you know, so a later lot. later after I retired. because Well, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, because I was going to ask when you planted with her yeah because otherwise i was gonna ask when you planted with garth where it was because um garth worked for my mom for a lot of years okay Um, george yeah okay my my last year really i mean i did another contract in ontario private one with a couple of friends of mine that we took out so that wasn't really my last year but Mm -hmm. my last year with outland was uh yeah was out near prince george with okay yeah i think it was 19 91 mm, yeah yeah so it must have been after maybe garth he must have come back then because yeah i was a child in the 90s so um and my mom knows dave or knew dave so um okay. yeah so they they knew all those peeps anyways digressing totally but i was just curious when you said that um because yeah, yeah so i've I, known garth I mean, for a long I time garth and i was always very fond of him and uh you know, Garth is a very soulful, uh, kind, and honest person. And uh, it was really important to me in making my film that I, I mean, I know, of course, a lot of the stories of camps, I know they're not all equal. And I, I wanted to be with a camper, I felt like people would be being treated well. I mean, it's, we know tree planting is tough, like no one goes out there. It's not like being in a hotel. Um, you know, you're not a movie star. It's it's a hard life. So even when someone is doing their best to make it uh, comfortable, there's going to be a lot of people complaining and a lot of challenges and bad land and all those things are inevitable, even in the best run camps, you know, especially bigger camps and camps that are hiring a lot of rookies, which is often not the most prestigious contracts or whatever right you know it's very layered and complicated and um but I knew that this was someone who really cared about people and and so that was a real green flag for me and and he and he invited me to do it or when I asked him so when I when we see each other in New York now you know in 2015 and uh I said, Garth, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I need to stop going to war zones. And, uh, and I had a nightmare about tree planting last night and, uh, which I had every six months, my entire life. Oh, wow. Uh, until I started making the film oddly. I don't huh. anymore. Okay. And, uh, and I said, I think it's time we start making that film we talked about in 1991, because in 1991, we were on again, which my last contract ever with Outland. And I was, you know, I was in my ninth year of planting and I was almost 30, I guess. And um, uh, gosh, I guess I'll tell this story. So so we're on this contract and it was uh, it was pretty bad. But I mean, whatever, bad contracts, they they come and go. That had never made me quit planting before. But Garth, like, um, and I can't remember, has he told you, he probably hasn't told you this story. I can't remember if like he, he if his, if, if his uncle was sick or wasn't sick, but he said his uncle was sick and then he had to leave the contract. And, uh, you know, at a certain age and a number of years of planting, I feel like you can kind of make your choices if you want to leave a camp. 
And so for whatever reason, Garth was leaving and going to Prince and going to Thunder Bay. And it was only a couple of days before the end, end of the contract. And I kind of had a crush on Garth. And I thought, it'll be fun to go hang out with Garth <laughs> in Thunder Bay. So I said, well, I'm going to quit too, right? I can't remember what's, what I said, but uh, so we went to Prince, we went to Thunder Bay and we basically partied for a couple of days. And uh, um, yeah, and we talked, we said, oh, we should make a documentary film about tree planting. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? And, you know, as says every tree planter, mm -hmm. but it's easier said than done. Easier now because of the technology, of course, and I benefited from that too. But, you know, 20 years later, here are Garth and I, and uh, uh, I had, I was now a very experienced documentary photographer. I had worked all over the world. I focused on documenting communities not a coincidence I mean my obsession and love of tree planting and tree planting communities led me to a career where I would embed with large communities of people so for instance I spent two months living in the desert with American cavalry soldiers like 150 men and me and you know when people ask me what prepared me for that I think it's pretty clear it's a direct line from tree planting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had people say, well, how can you compare tree planting to war? Well, I'm not talking, like, no, that's not what I'm saying is the same, but the ability to embed in this, you know, really rough environment where it was worse than my first year tree planting. I mean, mm -hmm. we had nowhere to bathe and not to mention that, I mean, that all the danger and all that, that aside, but, um, you know, tree planting gave me this, kind of obsession with how do communities work, you know? And um, so, so, and then Garth, so I said to Garth, so I said, uh, I, I think we should make that film we talked about 20 years ago. And he said, well, your timing's really good because I just bought pretty much the, you know, a portion of the company we used mm. to both work for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we said, okay, man, there's no time like the present, let's do it. And so that was October 2015 and we started talking on a regular basis and he I trusted him and he trusted me and that's where you have to start any documentary project mm -hmm. that's the that's the like the without that it's a deal breaker like you have to have that trust and that respect and that has only grown over the time that we work together and, yeah. and um you know and I know his his wonderful uh wife Paula and uh yeah they're very very anyway they're very dear to me but but that's how it started um, mm -hmm. so just to go back a little bit um you know because of course you've you've mentioned a little bit already you know where life kind of took you after planting um so you know before I ask you know because I wanted to cover uh so your decision to leave and and where you went next, but I guess I just want to start with first, um, you know, you spent 10 years in the tree planting game. So I'm curious, you know, in that 10 years or just in general, how it changed or impacted your life, you know, like how did it maybe alter your life trajectory and where you ended up sort of going? Um, you know, it's kind of a difficult question to like, you know, cause it's always like all oh, the what ifs and whatever, but, um, right. but I'm curious well, how it changed your life. Well, while I was planting, I was in university for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I did a master's degree in French and <clears throat> French and English literary theory. <clears throat> um, 
In fact, part of my MA thesis was on logging culture and history because I, I would have wanted to do something about tree planting culture and history, but there really wasn't enough of it at the time. And there were no records and now people are writing PhD theses about tree planting. But back then I chose logging because it was the next closest thing. And that of course has influenced my work as well. And uh, you know, the research aspect and how I understand tree planting is of course coming out of the legacy of logging and, uh, and how communities work in logging as well, right? The, or the old days of logging camps before mechanization, which has really you know, damaged the feeling of community in the logging world too, a big loss of many loggers I interviewed, Alzheimer's especially consider that a big, big loss as would we, I mean, imagine if we lost tree planting to mm -hmm. machines, which uh, by the way, I'm assured by every forester I know that that is not anytime coming anytime soon because you really need to make those decisions about microsite selection. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so too. But uh, so there I was in academia and it was a really wonderful match as many know because academia is such a, a profound and challenging intellectual pursuit and- uh, And expensive. Um, <laughs> well, and expensive. I mean, you yeah. need to pay for it. So, but you could get another, you know, maybe, well, it would be hard to get another part-time job so there's that we know that you can go and work for three or two or three or four months and make more money than you would maybe not as a waitress like I think you would make as much money as a as a waitress or a bartender but that didn't appeal to me so much um and even more so like I like the escape that I mean when you're trying to write um I mean you know you have a, a podcast when you're trying to do something creative and intellectual it's uh you can I mean, yeah, you have to put in the hard work, but you're not guaranteed that your hard work is going to deliver. You know, you can work really, really hard and it just crap comes out and it's it's very frustrating. And with tree planting, there is sort of this pure like correlation between how hard you work and what you get back. And uh, and also, you know, I watched a movie by uh, Agnes Varda, the famous French uh, filmmaker who died a couple of years ago. But Agnes Varda, one of her early films was called uh, Vagabond. And mm -hmm. uh, um, it's starring this, you know, the beautiful Sandrine Bonner, who it starts with her death. And she's, I mean, this is the kind of thing I like. She starts with her death. She's like lying in a ditch in some small of uh, uh, rural village and the film then goes back to trace her life of uh, how she ended up kind of a vagabond and uh, and along her her journeys which are kind of romantic but also sad very sad uh, she meets this warm and kind and giving family of shepherds and the patriarch of the of the shepherd family uh, it reveals at some point that he has a master's degree in philosophy. And I thought, well, isn't that wonderful that you can get this like mass, you could be a philosopher, you could say, I have an MA, but I choose to be a, a shepherd. Mm. And I thought there was something like I could have an MA, but choose to work the land with my hands. Mm. And so there are all these ways that these two things work well together. And well, there's a, a, a Canadian poet who had been a logger. I can't remember, Patrick Lane, maybe. And he has a poem where he talks about how he, or it's maybe the intro to one of his books of poetry. He says, I was never, I was never much good at, at being a logger or a poet, 
but the combination of the two kind of uh, got people's attention. So there was something in that too. And, and you know, my colleagues in, in academia, because I'm still in touch with many of the people I did an MA with, and they went on to do PhDs. And I'll say I didn't, I went on to do photography, but they remember me going tree planting. And I remember, you know, getting an extension on an essay at one point from this I had this professor, Lubomir Dolachel, and he was like a world-renowned renowned scholar in something called possible world theory connected to semiotics and semantics. And I really admired him and was intimidated by him. And I asked him for an extension for a paper because I, I had to go tree planting. And I thought, oh, he's going to shut me down. And he just, you know, he said to me, you know, Rita, not enough, not enough philosophers know how to drive a nail. And he really respected it. He's like, absolutely, go plant trees and then come back and write your essay. And when you get back, you'll do a better job. And it was true. And I came back and I wrote an essay about Umberto Eco. You know, uh, So that all really connected. And then, but my dream of being a photographer was, was something that was hard, was hard to achieve because becoming a photographer is hard. And uh, I was very inspired as a tree planter. There's an amazing photographer named Lorraine Gilbert. I talk about her often. Mm. She's a professor of photography in Ottawa and she's maybe 10 years older than me and was ahead of me that amount in tree planting. Mm. And in the late eighties, um, when I was starting to become interested in photography more seriously and getting into tree planting, uh, she was publishing these incredible photographs of tree planters and of tree plant and of cut blocks. And uh, so I was, I was continuing to be inspired about wanting photography, but it wasn't something I was achieving. I was. Yeah. I'm curious, like, did you, did you start at all or did you start? Um, you know, I know some people who started, who are photographers um, who started their a lot of their photography while planting. So like, was that the case for you? Well, no, I mean, and I think it has to do partly with the technology because mm -hmm. with digital technology, it's easier to take pictures in a harsh environment. But in those days, like um, it would have been really hard. It's so dirty. Like if you think of that first camp I was in like to protect stuff from the inclement weather would have been impossible. I mean, we couldn't even keep ourselves dry and clean. Mm -hmm. um, and you're so busy and exhausted, right? Photography takes a lot of mental effort to do it properly. Like, you know, with since I, when I started working on my film, some people were like, oh, you also planting trees. I'm like, oh my God, no, like planting <laughs> trees is unbelievably hard. You can't do anything else. I mean, that's why tree planters need foremen most, you know, like tree, you know, that you get like exhausted, dumb, right? And you need someone to take care of you and to cook for you because you are, if you're pushing yourself, you don't have anything left. Like you come back to camp and you need someone to feed you and then you fall into bed and, uh, you know, uh, to then do something as that take as taxing as photography, because to take good photographs is incredibly difficult um so I did have like a little camera I took some pictures they were nothing special you know and uh, a couple like a couple of pictures Lorraine uh had studied photography and was probably in like her 10th 12th 13th 14th year or something as a tree planter 
and had graduated from photography school before she started her project. And she would work part of the week. So say she would say plant for three days and shoot for three days. Okay. And she had two tents. She had a separate tent for her camera gear, which yeah. is my first year out on my project. That's what I did. I had a separate tent for my gear and for myself. And I had a generator. Um, she wasn't working digitally. She wouldn't have had as many battery needs as me. So I doubt she had a generator. But uh, and she wasn't using lighting and all these other things that I was using. But um, so I knew that of her because, of course, I wondered, like, how the hell did she make these wonderful pictures and be planting trees? And she's like, no, I, they, I looked at them as separate jobs. Oh, OK. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, um, you know, obviously she was a huge inspiration for you and, you know, your academic career was sort of nearing a close. And so I'm curious about this shift for you because right. um, so it was obviously a big. Yeah, it was obviously a big source of inspiration yeah. for you, tree planting. So, so I, how did you leave? Right. You know, so, how did you choose to leave and then jump yeah. into the photography? Yeah. So I did always want to be a photographer, like from the age of 15. And mm -hmm. I've been turned down by photography schools and journalism schools, but not, I hadn't even been turned down. Like this was pre-internet. I didn't know how to apply. Like I dropped out of high school in after grade 12 and I went out west and I, I spent a little couple of months in Lake Louise and then I lived in Vancouver for two years and or a year and a half and here I was like 19 years old I didn't have a high school degree but I'd always wanted to be a photographer but how you know I didn't even know how to get into photography school I things were tough in Vancouver and I thought oh my god do I maybe I need a better life than working as a short order cook in a shitty restaurant where I'm being harassed by my boss and I should finish high school. So I did that by correspondence and I came back to Toronto and I walked into like the registrar's office at Ryerson and said, I want to study photography. And they said, well, you have to apply in advance and you need a portfolio. And I didn't even know that, you know, and uh, but I really needed some kind of focus in my life. And then my dad drove me to Ottawa, to Carleton, to the journalism school. Mm. Same thing, right? Because you couldn't get through on the phones. And so it's like, we just went. And same thing. I'm like, I want to study journalism. Well, you need to apply in advance and you need a portfolio. And, you know, I didn't know anything. And then I went to U of T and they said, well, with your grades, we'll take you part time. And I was like, great. So I started part time at U of T. I mean, I'd always enjoyed reading and literature and uh I started studying literature at U of T and fell in love with it and then spent the next six, six years of my life pursuing a master's degree in, in French and English lit and literary theory um, to the point that I planned on doing a PhD. And I applied to do a PhD. Uh, in the interim, I, I think I took a year off. I worked as a technical writer for, so, so yeah, so plant, so, uh, how did I stop planting? Well, you know, honestly, I was in pain. Mm, I, okay. my right shoulder, you know, we have our certain things. I had so much pain in my right shoulder and neck. And by the last, I would say three years, but particularly the last two, I was taking so many painkillers. I mean, you know, people take painkillers tree planting and uh, I was constantly jacked up on, on painkillers and in enormous pain. Um, and so that was really what made me stop. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was it. I know I'm not alone in that. I talked to planters all. I mean, I think that certainly helped me making my film was having had all those experiences myself. And so when a tree planner 
of 10, 15 years said, I, I'm in pain and I, I have to stop. I mean, I never said, oh, really? Does it hurt? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hurt? yeah, tree planting hurts a lot. Um, so, and it was, it was, it was time. So it was time for me to stop. Also, I couldn't get a management job. Like, I mean, I was, right. uh, I mean, okay. I was, I was uh, foreman. I wanted, at that point, I wanted to be a, uh, a supervisor. I'm super organized. Look, I've made films. I went to war zones. I mean, I think I've proven since that I could have been a supervisor. But at the time, the received belief was that, well, first of all, it took a while for anyone to think that women were capable of uh, being foremen. But then it was like, yes, but supervisor is too much. And, you know, I, I anyways, that was the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm grateful now. Like, I often think about, you know, it's a cliche that a close, a cl you know, when one door closes, another opens, well, by necessity, really. Um, and so many things in my life that have been denied me uh, have led me to things that were much better. I mean, when you're not getting the thing that's right in front of you, you have to think long and hard about what you really want to do then mm -hmm. uh, next. And uh uh, so I decided I was going to pursue a PhD, but first I, I took some, a year off and I, uh, um, worked as a technical writer cause I still needed to make some money. And, uh, and then I went on a one-year road trip and I went to Mexico and I worked on a film and I, I, I made, uh, photographs the whole time. And I came back as the whole time I'm kind of taking like like night courses and photography and weekend courses in photography. I mean, I'm continuing kind of to learn, you know, but I'm not good because I don't really have any formal experience. And to technically you needed so much more technical skill than you do now in a way, like to get mm -hmm. started, right? Yeah. Because you have problems like, well, I rolled all my film myself and I processed all my film myself. And sometimes that would just fuck up. And also you can't see your pictures. So if they're not good, if the exposure is wrong, you can't just take another one. You can't test it on, on in the surplus, as they say, like in the situation itself. So, uh, but I came back and I had enough good photographs that I had a little show in a bar mm. on College Street that's like down the street where I am right now. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I had this, uh, did I go tree planting one more time? I went tree planting one more time after that. And I did I maybe not and anyways I had like a, a, a fax I had to send I received a fax and it was from the University of Edmonton and it was a full scholarship to do a PhD in literary theory and I had to sign back the the contract and I looked at it and I looked at it and I phoned up one of my best friends still Guntar Kravis who is a photographer and was then as well and I said, you know, do you think I could be a photographer? <laughs> and, he, and, you know, bless him. He said, he said, Rita, I think you could do anything you wanted to do. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's something tree planning teaches you too. So I turned down the PhD scholarship and I started from the bottom and my life again, in a way, I got a job in the film business at the bottom of the ladder, um, you know, with an MA, I started as a production assistant. Now that wasn't an easy job to get as a woman either in 1990. They kept saying, well, don't you want to be a producer? Don't you want to work in costume? Or don't you want to work in the art department? I'm like, no, I want to work in the lighting department, which had maybe 1% women. Mm. There were, I, I, I still know them. There were four women in Canada, all of Canada working lighting departments. And I kept getting turned down. And one day I was like, well, 
fuck, they're not, they're not, so they're meeting me and they're thinking that I should be a producer. So I walked into the uh, union of uh, lighting technicians and uh, just called in person. And I put on a pair of like cutoff shorts and you know, like I was 30 something, the peak physical condition, a tree planter and super strong and muscular. And I just walked in in like a tank top and cut off shorts. And I took my graduate degree off of my CV. So when I did finally finish high school, I did it through the School of Correspondence. So for education, I put high school degree, Toronto School of Correspondence, tree mm. planter. And I walked in and I got a job so that I could drive a truck. Also, I had a truck driver's license from tree planting, right? I could drive a truck and, uh, and carry a ton of shit. And I was logistically, I knew all these things that are really important in filmmaking. And, and they gave me a job and I went to work the next day. And it was, it was me like, old, you know, with a, a bunch of guys in their 20s. And the first day in the, in the uh, garage with all these trucks, some 25 year old guy says to me, because one other thing you do as a production assistant is you help all the different departments, but you also could do what they call craft services, which is uh, preparing the food trays for the crew. And so this kid, kid now, he was only five years younger than me at the time, says, uh, so, uh, so why don't you go over there and do the craft services? And I looked at him and I said, I said, you know what? I, I said, do I look like I have a special way with cheese? I said, I'm going to drive one of these trucks. So I'll, you know, move, move along, move along. And then, yeah, it almost seems like you got that, you know, that management experience that you wanted in planting. You were almost able to do it like in the film industry afterwards. Yeah. All the same skills. Yeah, absolutely. So useful. So useful. Like not being, and you know, yeah. Yeah. Tree planting crew bosses and people who work in management tree planting, they know logistics. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can, want someone to to get something to make something happen in a challenging circumstance those people can get it done for you like now of course I know a lot of company owners and I mean these are the the most logistically organized people you will meet the same as people who run big big film companies yeah um, so so before switching over um so I want to get more into your the film and all that stuff but before we sort of leave the like tree planting career completely I like to ask these questions as well to people um two two different questions and really related to like the highs and lows of the job um and just like don't overthink it just like whatever comes to mind I always like to preface it with that um but out of all your years and experiences, um, you know, and you ca- it can include the recent stuff too, I suppose, if you want. But what is your favorite tree planting memory? Um, well, that would definitely, I mean, if you want to include the time I made my film, it would definitely be in those five years. Mm. Uh, because, uh, well, there's something about being, you know, you've seen my film right like I I I just I fell in love with everybody you know like I just have so much warmth for the people who welcomed me into their world and uh sorry I got really emotional about it it's funny I think it's you know the pandemic it's been so brutal uh sorry (laughs) No, no, no worries. This uh, this is planting too, right? All the emotions. So well, you know, yeah. I I totally right. Like uh, 
uh, there, you know, I did an interview at some point and I said to the, I said to the interviewer, everybody cries in the cup block. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, oh my God, tree planters, it's uh, everybody cries. And, uh, and making the film about tree planting, I cried a lot, a lot too, uh, out of joy and frustration and all those same things, right? It's because of the extremes and because you're so tired too, right? Like that physical exhaustion and, and, uh, but yeah, you know, during the, the pandemic, uh it's really brought home for me the value of community i mean i didn't need that i already knew community was important to me i spent my whole life pursuing communities and uh um so i miss that a lot now and but there was so much joy in um i mean i wasn't planting trees so that was good i mean it's kind of a dream to be able to be in a tree planting camp without that's true that's kind of that's kind of a dream that's like a a win-win yeah (laughs) i was living the dream in that way like yes what i was doing was very hard and i felt an enormous responsibility to do a good job at it and uh and also just my drive as an artist i wanted to make something extraordinary and i had was giving up you know six years of my life um uh to do this a lot of money of my own money and uh and to show respect and to show it in the right way without with you know it's a complicated story you're never going to tell everybody's story i can only tell it from my perspective and i i was interested in my or what i knew about what i knew about was my own experiences tree planting and you know the reason i chose to go with a big bigger camp where you there are rookies and and people who maybe plant up to five, 10 years or so, or 15 years, and not say these veteran camps out on the island, which would be fascinating, but was not my experience. You know, mm. I could, I, I didn't know anything. I, I, I don't know anything about that, that world, really. I would be such an outsider. I would be the same age as them, but I wouldn't share their experience. And so here are these people who I, I used to be a part of this community this kind of community and now i'm an outsider by age by time that has passed but it was very much the kind of experience i had had so it was revisiting my life in a way through other people and in the film all the it's a it's a portraiture style film these are portraits of people visually photographically and emotionally it's a portraiture it's a film made by portrait artists mm-hmm. and uh but the portraits are very influenced by who I am and who I was. And, you know, it's said about portraiture that it is as much a portrait of the artist as it is of the subjects. And it's very true in this project where I self-selected uh, people, subjects, it is a weird word, subjects, but people uh, to be in the film who experienced things I could relate to. So they were kind of avatars of myself. So, you know, an obvious one is, uh, is Evan, who uh, talks, you know, very, and everyone was so generously sharing their stories um, about his experience with addiction. And Mm -hmm. that was an experience that I have had. Uh, You know, I've been in recovery for uh, 14 and a half years, 10 years when not even 10 years when this film started, that's how long it's been. But so, so he was kind of speaking to something I could 
that told my story too, mm -hmm. or someone talking about, you know, having their heart broke. And also these are very universal, common issues so that outsiders looking at the film could relate to and see this isn't a film, this isn't like a science film about tree planting. It's not an environmental film either. I mean, really, mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's an emotional film about human behavior and human emotions and community and and love and heartbreak and uh um uh you know set in this world that is also you know an allegory uh of the human condition and also of nature so i mean it's an environmental film in the sense that you know here are these you know it's an artistic construct right so here are these mm -hmm. characters who are healing themselves and healing the land at the same time and all the science questions aside about, you know, what is tree planting and what is reforestation and what is the history of logging, things that, by the way, I know a lot about and chose not to make a film of, about because you can only make a film in one way. And I thought my strength was to make something more poetic where mm -hmm. the landscape becomes a major character. I mean, it's the it's a major character in the film. And uh and then allow the subjects in the film like tara who you know is also uh, uh metis indigenous and i thought not only incredibly well-spoken and brilliant poet and uh who's recently published her memoir by the way it's called oh, oh cool you suited tara um yeah tara i did the list <laughs> Put her on the list. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Nothing will be different is the name of her memoir. And at the age of 28, she's written a compelling and incredible memoir that really speaks to being a millennial in Canada and mm. it takes people across the country and tree planting, of course, is a part of it. Uh, so I asked Tara, you know, would you be willing to be the voice that talks about the emotionality of being in a cut, cut block and, uh, and, and tree planting and do you feel you're making a difference in these things? So, so she becomes the voice who talks about that. And, uh, you know, and she says, no one can, can be in a clear cut, no feeling person can come to a clear cut and not be overwhelmed by emotion. And that's what my film does is it creates, it, it brings people into this clear cut world so that they are hopefully uh, emotionally inspired by the film and the people in it to then do more research about the, climate change and reforestation and all these issues. So I feel my film serves a purpose in that way, but it's not mm -hmm. like a, a didactic, you know, science film about tree planting. So people looking yeah. for that, you know, but I mean, well, and, film festivals kind of like it because it's it's refreshing and it's a different way into it. And yeah, if we yeah, can't yeah. feel emotionally about, um, you know, what's happening to the planet, like I think that's, we rely on people being emotional to fix things, you know, and, uh, because I don't think psychopaths and uh, sociopaths and people who don't really experience emotion, those aren't the people driving change, you know? Mm. Well, and on that, on that emotional note as well, I'm curious, um, especially with that having been, you know, you wanting to have that kind of focus and you feeling like that was your strength and as sort of relating this film now to being like your favorite tree planting memory, um, you know, on the other note, what is your worst tree planting memory that comes to mind? Uh, jumping off a roll and breaking my foot. 
Oh, I mean, yep. that's the one that comes to mind most. Uh, uh, There's usually always a flood. There's so many. Not not being able to get a crew boss job. That was devastating. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was devastating. Yeah. Um, I mean, eventually I did, but I had to beg for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and let's, uh, yeah, so like shifting into, you know, you've spoken a little bit about the film and you've spoken a little bit about kind of how you started to pursue photography. And of course, um, you know, even just hearing bits and pieces, um, you know, you've obviously been very successful at, at doing so and have, you know, been all over the world and been in all of these like um, really incredible, sometimes dangerous, but really interesting places. So, I'm curious as to how, you know, because it almost seems like, as like you said, you know, these war zones and places that you've been in conflict with are can be similar in a lot of ways to to the planting culture, to the cut block, et cetera. But, you know, this is something that I think every planter goes through that sort of like first year, maybe you don't go back or whatever. But how was how was your transition um, from planting life, you know, from that cyclical, like go to school and then you go plant and then you go to school and then you go plant for like so many years. How was that transition into like, quote unquote, real life where like, yeah. you know, well, the first couple of years you weren't yeah. going back anymore. And it was like, it was a reality, well, you know, like I've, it was done. Uh, I've been able to kind of maintain that kind of, uh, cause the variety is nice. Right? Yeah. We love yeah. that. It's like, we love that variety. I, I don't think people would like tree planting nearly as much if it was 12 months a year, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like there are some people that do that, but um yeah. Are. Absolutely. Yeah. And oh my god, all respect to them completely. Like the career planters, amazing, right? Um, but it's a very different thing. Mm -hmm. They're professionals on a whole other level, and uh they're the minority, they're the minority, right? Yeah. Um, but uh yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, it kind of, you know, because even a lot of planters in the off season too, they'll go travel and things. So it, 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 it doesn't, you know, as someone who seems like they were really, um, sort of matched for that lifestyle, you know, it would makes it makes sense to me that you carried well, it out sort of in other ways. A nine to five job, you know. Yeah, That's yeah, sure. and yeah. I think that was that was a part of my decision not to do a PhD as I started yeah. picturing my future, you know, I was that route, yeah. about how we make life decisions, right? Yeah. And you have to like weigh it out and look at what would this actually mean? And, uh, and well, I wasn't going to be able to do a PhD and still go tree planting because it would mm -hmm. require full time. And then I would be being paid as well for my work as yeah. an academic. So I started picturing the rest of my life with this kind of regular schedule and a lot of it spent in libraries researching and writing a lot a lot a lot indoors yeah all that yeah. outdoor time forget yeah. it right yeah and uh and i and but it was after that road trip when i took those photographs and i thought i want to be a really good photographer mm -hmm. and there's no way you can be a really great photographer or even a good photographer and also do a phd you just can't do that much with your time and your life so i had to make a choice and part of it was the lifestyle for sure i thought i want to be a good photographer and i don't want to spend my life in the library and if being a photographer will open the world up to me even more so than when i was tree planting because i can construct more i won't be in school and i'll well i'll make it my career i'm going to design i'm going to design my own life you know and uh and photography is a way of living many different lives and many worlds. So, so I think I just took that even further, you know, and mm -hmm. working in 
film too, it's like sporadic. You work on a project and then you have time off and then you work on another project. But I left film for the same reason. I didn't want to be, uh, you know, beholden to my pager going off and saying, well, maybe, you know, your sister's getting married tomorrow, but if you don't come and do this job, you're not going to get a job for a month because you'll be, you know, you'll fall off the list. Like it really controls your life and having to rely on those big communities of people. So now I'm kind of count, countering that, but I wanted uh, uh, a life of variety and I wanted to be able to test myself and I wanted to make beautiful photographs. And that was the other thing with like the last working on this project. Um, and there's a moment in the, the film where I'm shooting at night and I'm sort of revealing these night shots we did in the middle of the forest. And I mean, who hasn't thought about sleeping in the cup block? I mean, we did that my first year planting, but um, I, I certainly didn't have photographs of any of that. And I thought how, I, I've been thinking about year for years, how am I gonna photograph the feeling of being in these spaces in the middle of the night? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I made these crazy time lapses that people will see if they watch the film. and. And I say, you know, that nothing, nothing makes me, nothing really makes me as happy as an incredible photograph that was hard to achieve. I mean, I would say love surpasses that, but you know, aside from love, photo art, right? Like I kind of have a list, right? Well, well I'll share that after, cause yeah. So, so making a photograph that I felt really and truly, or any kind of footage really and truly represented this experience of tree planting and the way I was trying to get it. Uh, those were the happiest moments. Those are, those are the happiest moments of my life. Uh, other times as well, achieving my art because my art has of course become the most important thing in my world um, next to love. But with, you know, barring having love, you have art. It's kind of the consolation prize, but it's not a bad one because it's lasting and permanent. Um, so, you know, my crew or any of the tree planters who were around when I actually made a photograph that worked because, you know, the portraits were brutally difficult to achieve. And most, you know, I took, I could shoot for two weeks and not get one that worked because many elements had to be in place. There are these action shots, they were very challenging. And when I got one, I would like scream, I would like jump up and down. I'd be like, holy <laughs> fuck, we fucking nailed it. I just, like, like, anyone anywhere nearby would know that something had happened. And I knew that I had done something, you know, of all these years of thinking about it and all the work and effort to get a, you know, a picture that truly told this story. And, you know, and these are, I mean, I remember those moments so clearly and my, my assistant remembers and the, you know, just, Power, you know, powerful to achieve something so difficult mm -hmm. and know that I was serving this overall mission of what I wanted to do was to try and tell this story in a powerful and allegorical way. And, uh, you know, and that's, these, these are the photographs that some of them are now uh, in the National Gallery of Canada, you know, like that was a... Yeah, because you, you had the book published like the book has been published for a little bit. Is that oh, the book that was the last thing? The oh, book the book's the last thing. thing. Cause I, I remember seeing a news article about this, you know, maybe what was it three years ago or something? Yeah, that was and when the photograph, yeah, the, that one first photograph of that um, female planter and yeah. it was maybe yeah. in like the Globe and Mail or something. And that's where I remember first seeing like bits right. of this, not realizing it was 
also going to be a documentary and not realizing also um, that you had spent so many years making it. Um, right. Yeah. So like, how did it, you know, like, did you put that article out then for a, a reason or did it kind of just happen? And so is it meant to be like the film and then like the book is oh, coming so out I'll after? Exactly, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. So um, I'm making all the work at the same time. So yeah. I go out in 2016, I've got my video camera and my stills camera and all these ideas. And you guys know what it's like on a tree planting site, right? So you know how hard logistically it's going to be to do anything. And, uh, and so I was when the weather was right or the circumstance was right, I would shoot film. And when it was right for stills, I would shoot stills. And when it was right for drone footage, I would shoot drone footage. And I mean, it took four years uh, or four seasons. So from 2016 to 2019, I spent four full seasons and with you know time in between in Toronto working on related stuff. And the stills photographs are actually the first uh, you know, it takes a long time to edit a film. So the film was not going to be edited until the end because you have to have all your footage and then you edit and make a film. So the editing of the film didn't start until after the final season. Mm. But in the interim, I am making stills photographs and uh, my gallerist who represents me in Toronto, Stephen Bulger, after the first season, I came to him and I showed him some large, I made some like, 40 inch wide test print sort of of some of the photographs I had made back 2016 right I had made in those three to four months I'd made a number of photographs I mean I had video footage but none of it was edited or organized I'm still collecting it and making it right and the book as well the, you can't edit the book till you're done but the photographs can happen as you go and so Stephen offered me an exhibition it was actually coming it was like the 150th Canada. Oh yeah, or like yeah, yeah, because that was like what three, four years ago or something. I yeah, that remember. was. I remember uh, it. About twenty, yeah, twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, twenty seventeen, you're right. Twenty seventeen, and um, uh, and he, you know, he was saying, well, I there's so much hoopla around this. I kind of feel like ignoring it and not doing doing deliberately doing nothing about Canada because we're just so bombarded with it. And, and then I showed him some of these tree planter photographs and he said, wow, these are something. And, uh, and he said, maybe I should reconsider not doing anything about Canada. And then he decided that that whole year he would only do shows related to Canada. And he offered mm -hmm. me a show with the tree planters. And I, I said, well, okay, October, 2017, that gives me uh, I would have shown him those pictures partway through 2016 because I came back partway to do test prints and to take a break and then I went back out to BC and uh, so I then I had a mission I'm like okay I'm going to do a show of portraits only uh, these incredible portraits and uh, so I have another year to make more and so then I became very focused so pretty much the first two years my main focus was making these portraits okay. which technically and physically were the hardest part of the entire project to make. So I had this date, this the uh, it was the 15th of October, I think 2017, to get these prints ready for exhibition. And then that's what I started publicizing and promoting okay. the show. So that's why it came out in stages. So suddenly there are these photographs. Many people have said to me, okay, so you made the photographs first and then the idea to make, uh, to make the film came later. I'm like, 
no, no, no. It was all, I mean, I'm doing it all because I'm the filmmaker and I'm the photographer. Yeah, yeah. Also, I'm a subject in the film. And then, so there's going to be a book coming out as well, or is it already out? And, then, and I always, the book, so the, and I always also knew I was going to do a book. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I had the exhibition in 2017, and then I'm, I don't know how long it's going to take me to finish, right? So I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll do one more year because I don't, I, well, for sure I have to do one more year because I haven't done actually any photo, uh, photographs of, life in camp <laughs> none because i was so tired after a full day of shooting these portraits i'd go back get back to camp at seven like everybody then i've got four hours of editing and downloading and backing up and uh charging my battery so i never got to bed before 11 at night i'm not gonna you know and that was it so i never you're, wor you're working like a supervisor <laughs> exactly yeah right and uh and so i went back and the third so the third year um, I, I got some of these forest shots that I wanted. I call them the Enchantus Forest and a bit of the night photography of the forest uh, and more interviews and more life around camp. And I thought, I, I was like, okay, I'm, it's done, it's done. And they even had a little goodbye party for me. And on the way out of camp, one of the tree planters says, you know, there was a story I never told you. And uh, I meant to tell you about the reason I collected uh, the horse flies. And he tells me this story, but by oh, then yeah. it's, it's you're not interviewing him, right? It's loud and we're leaving. And then he's, and, and he tells me the story about how, how Garth once told, or maybe it was Brett once told him about how, how bears don't discriminate and how this sort of resonated to him on, on a sort of spiritual level and, uh, you know thinking about racism a whole other layer of con conversation and as we're driving out of camp i say to liam shit i have to come back next year <laughs> and so it's like a classic time, vet move almost too. Thought, you started like, mirroring yeah 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 just like yeah. being a tree planter i yeah. couldn't fucking leave right and and so it wasn't until that was over so then 2019 right the the and i'm still shooting i'm making more stills photos so it's great because i'm even making more stills photos which are all going to go in the book because i'm thinking about this book the book ends up being which only it was the book was published in october so a couple of months ago uh the book ends up being a 256 page large stunning honestly i mean I, if i can't say it's stunning and what am i even doing here talking yeah about cool um you know photography book of these photographs that I made in the project, the book weighs two kilos. It's it's a it's a it's a big it's a it's a collector's thing, a collector's item, right? Cost we kept it at sixty nine dollars, um, but you know it's a hundred and fifty dollar book. It's just it's it's so so the book was always in my mind, and and anyone who knows photography and photo books, when you look at it, you can tell from the structure and the content that I had been strategizing what kinds of photographs I needed for it all along. I'm always working toward what is going to be in this book. Uh, what are, and what quality of photos do they have to be to be hanging in a museum? Um, you know, there's the, the front and end pieces of the pages of the, of the book, like in the front and end covers, it's these grids of square photos I took on my my smartphone that I was posting on Instagram and they're very strategically made. They're about the process. They're about driving. A lot of them are shot over the, the hood of my red truck. And I knew, well, this is a way of kind of getting people a little bit 
I mean, I have a pretty small following on Instagram, but creating a little bit of interest in the project, but also creating these images that as grids are going to be the front end pages of my book. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that from the first month in the bush. And so, so then I edited the film as I'm editing the film, I'm also making the book and the layout and pitching publishers. I sent a mock-up of the book um, in like the summer of uh, 2019, which is when we started editing the film. And, uh, and then a couple of months later, he writes back and it was one of my top choices of a publisher, Dowie Lewis. He's out of the UK, but he's a world, you know, very respected photo book publisher. And I knew that he would make something, he would help me make something really beautiful, the quality I wanted it to be. I designed the book as well. And, uh, you know, I had an editor that I worked very closely with on my film. They're, they're related, right? The book and the film and the, so it's all happening all at once. And then so the film is out now and I'm trying to promote that. The book came out in October. I had to, the way it works in photo books, because they're so all art books, they're so expensive to make, is that the artist has to pay for the printing. And the printing was $40,000. So oh, wow. I pre-sold books and that's how I paid for the printing. Yeah. So I embarked on this crazy Indiegogo fundraising campaign and really so all of this, the, the word gets out because I go to the media and I'm like, I'm trying to do this and this work and the media, they're looking for content and there are these beautiful photographs and the story. So, so it's all coming out kind of at the same time. And yeah. some people know there are fine art photographs, but don't know there's a book and a film. And some people know there's, a, and eventually people will know that it all exists. And this has been one of my challenges because not many people do this as you can imagine like mm -hmm. a film a book and fine art photographs is a whole trifecta yeah yeah it's pretty crazy and ambitious but how does it feel to have it done like for the most part now you know yeah, like the film is out the book's out you know good it yeah feels, uh, you know now I can I don't want to say this but now I can die you know that's not, <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not even really true but there's something about that like uh you know when you look at your life and the, the things you try and achieve as you go like uh, like having been thinking about this project for so very very long and knowing yeah. it would be really hard to do and you know now the challenge is is getting it out but you just i just have to have a certain amount of faith that it will i don't know i mean i i made it so. well it was you know i think it's an opportune time honestly to be releasing it so it's you know kind of cosmically attuned perhaps that you sort of ended up doing it when you did you know and that that's something I'd like to ask you about too because with social media these days and technology and you know to get a planting job now or to know what tree planting is is so different from even 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago you know we're so connected and there's so much more of a window and of course that's part of like even why I have the podcast right is um to just like have an eye into that world a little bit for other people and for people in the community. But I'm really curious, like, cause I personally, cause I grew up in the industry. So I've seen it since the nineties and then I've been in it myself for like over a decade. And I've really noticed like really radical changes in the last, like even just three to four years. Um, so I'm really curious, like you kind of coming back into it in like 2015, 2016, you know, what, like what major, I mean, there's some like really obvious ones, but I'm really curious what stands out for you as like the good or bad changes you've seen in tree planting, like with the culture and just like the job itself um, versus like when you were a planter. Um, so first of all, I love, I mean, it's never been mechanized 
And so that is radical that 30 years later, planting trees itself is basically the same. Mm -hmm. the, job, yeah. the job of it, which again, it's a big focus of my film, right? Because I'm also, uh, as you'll, you'll, you know, people will see in the film, I'm looking at it from this athletic point of view, right? And uh, my background as a ski racer made, makes me really aware and as a planter, of the dance of planting and the physical prowess it takes to be extremely good at it. Like I admire that. I got so much pleasure watching tree planters work and they realize that like appreciating their technique and their style, which I needed in order to be able to photograph them. Um, and you know, the shovels are smaller. So that's the, the big thing in the, I'll, I'll talk about different things at times. So the planting yeah. itself, the shovels are smaller yep. and faster. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> um, and the clothes are smarter. You know, people are wearing tights. We used to wear these big like army pants that were, uh, you couldn't dance and jump around the field. And why didn't we have more ergonomic clothing back then? I don't know. Um, the land, I don't know, the, I don't want to talk too much about the land because I didn't actually plant it, but I would say less scarified uh, than it was. Um, which I think is better for the environment, less scarification, depending. Also, some of it better because some of, well, I don't know. I mean, there's still water. Yeah, it's hit and miss sometimes when you prep land because sometimes you can, you know, it can be softer and there's more soil there if it hasn't been can altered be, yeah. as much. Yeah. Um, so that's that. And then the the fact that, with the, well, with the West Coast, camps they're doing three days on and one day off oh yeah yeah i think in ontario they're maybe doing five and one so i didn't know when i went out i decided not to ask a lot of questions because it wasn't going to change whether i was whether i was going to go out i was very intimidated i thought oh my god i'm 50 years old I'm now 57 i was 50 when i started working on this film um that it's going to be really really physically brutal and uh how am I going to do six days of the, you know? And so when I got out and I heard it was three days on and one day off, I almost cried. I was, <laughs> uh, and then to see that, of course, they plant planters do more because you need to rest your body. And, uh, you know, so when tree planting companies or the people in charge realize that will actually production will be better because you know running a camp every day is very expensive and if, if production is low you're wasting money it's better to give people a day off and not be operating and uh so from a business perspective and also for the health of the planters that was a huge difference huge huge um i would say a downside to that is more party days because some people have a problem with that. Some mm -hmm. don't. I mean, I think the real highballers, many of them are not partying so much because they know they need to rest and they're taking their job seriously. But I think for some people that temptation is a problem. It would have been for me as a as a person who's had issues with addiction and alcoholism. But anyways, maybe not. Probably um, showers in camp. That is a revelation. Like, <laughs> oh my god, to be able to be clean huge huge deal. i mean just all of that the the okay back in the day outland did start getting near the you know when they great cooks so we had amazing food when i started working for outland um well just because it was more i don't want to say anything against my first camp we were all in it together we were kids like it wasn't anybody's fault that was just you know out we, we were in the cup block we're all winging it it was it was a life-changing experience i mean those guys are are 
the guys who gave me that job, I'm so grateful to them. I mean, it changed my life. So the Northy brothers, you know, thank God for the Northy brothers who gave me that chance. You know, we were all in it together. So, but, uh, uh, so yeah. And then all of that better, way more trailers. Um, my first year filming the project, I, I could have had a trailer, but I chose not to because I thought, well, I don't want to be the asshole photographer in a trailer because I'm thinking everyone's going to be intense. Mm. And, <laughs> and I'm telling you, running a photography show and film production out of tents was really, really tough. And when I saw trailers, I was like, no one is going to begrudge the old lady with her trailer. And uh, I shouldn't say that. No one ever said that to me. Um, but uh, the photographer with her trailer. So I had a trailer <clears throat> the last three years and the game changer with the trailer is the heating. Mm, so, yes, so yes. Like, not sleeping on the ground. It's really nice. Oh, uh, not sleeping. Yeah. And just being cold. I mean, I remember how brutal the cold always felt tree planting, but I don't know if it's harder when you're older. I don't know. But that first, the first week back in 2016 and I'm in a tent and it was below freezing and I caught uh I got a uh stung infection in my eye that went around camp the very first week and a sore throat and I was sick and I like interviewing myself in my tent before I had any pictures even right and I'm like oh my god if I I'm like I you know I respect tree planters who quit I get it why well, Tree like if I were tree planting, I, I would quit. But I'm making this film and I told all these people that I'm going to be doing this so I can't quit. But this is fucking awful. Like what the fuck was I thinking? And yeah, was it hard kind of coming back in too? You know, well, so many years later. It was, yeah, it was, it was hard. And then what kept, what then I got into it, I got to know people better, but then I started making the work and the work started, uh, I was making something. And then that's in my life driven me forever. It drove me to be able to withstand what was happening in war zones, all that stress and feeling that there was a purpose to what I was doing and there was a value and it was worth all the struggle. And, you know, tree planters, you know, that feeling, you know, it's, it's so incredibly tough. And, you know, you're, you're, you're facing something you think is impossible. Like, especially in the beginning when, you know, you, you, your first day planting, you, you're working harder than you have in your life. And maybe you plant a hundred trees or 200 trees and, and, you know, you have to plant 10 times that, and you think it's impossible, you know, and tree planting, I think you, you realize that you can do something you think is impossible. And early mm -hmm. on making this project, I thought I've set myself an impossible task. I'm not going to be able to do this. And so that's like having it finished, you know, that I, 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 I made something, I made something good. I actually, I actually did something that felt impossible at times. Um, I can't remember what the question was. Yeah, no, I mean, oh, you, you basic, no, you basically covered it. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, on that note too, I'm really curious, because um, you're not the only sort of major documentary about planting that's, that's come out recently, of course. Um, I guess it was actually two years ago now in 2020, we had the release of the CBC supported documentary, One Million Trees. So I'm curious, um, you know, with you, which, which was a much shorter time span, it's a shorter film, like there's, you know, and having seen both, like it was really interesting for me to just see the differences. And so I'm curious, um, you know, for, cause there's lots of folks, lots of listeners who have seen One Million Trees. So I'm curious as to your thoughts kind of, I guess, if you've seen it and then maybe what 
viewers can expect from your film that's maybe similar or different um, in, because those are kind of the two really like sort of leading documentaries right now on planting will be yours and, and this one as well. Right. Well, I, one of the main differences off the top is that uh, my whole film takes place in the world of tree planting. Like there's sort of a concept in filmmaking called the, uh, the walled city. And so the entire world of the film is the world of planting and you never leave it. And it's, it's an allegory for another big world, right? It's based on sort of, you know, historical narrative concepts, right? And as I've said, like I have a degree in literary theory. I think about these, the way that you create worlds. And, uh, and so that's really essential visually and in terms of the, the emotionality of the film. Um, I spent four years with many of the people who you see interviewed in the film. So by the time I'm interviewing them, I know them intimately. And so they are sharing their, and many of them I interviewed many times, right? So like Tara, I interviewed in 2016 and 2018 and 2019 and, you know, Stephanie, uh, I, I filmed her her first day ever tree planting in 2016 when she was a rookie and the youngest person in the camp. And then I photographed, then I filmed her and interviewed her four years later. And by then knew her and, and she had even worked as my assistant one year because she went to film school in the interim and uh, came back and worked as my assistant one year and did some assisting for me in Toronto. And, you know, we already talked about the pain of tree planting and, you know, there's kind of a people say, people say like you kind of have to like pain if you like tree planting and, and is there even as a little bit of a, a draw to that you know we talked about that and and I and Stephanie I had always noticed she had cut marks on her arms because she she was clearly we never talked about it in the, when I first met her but clearly she had cut she had self-harmed and uh and I and I thought you know she would be a good voice to talk about pain in tree planting because she has a long-term relationship to uh, emotionality and, and pain. And so I, I, I knew her well enough that I could ask her and she trusted me and said, yes, I will talk about that and gives this really beautiful, uh, very generous interview about that. And I don't think that's, that's something you can do with someone when you just kind of, you know, in journalism, we have an expression to helicopter in, you know, mm -hmm. when you just like meet someone and you kind of, you need them for something. And uh, there isn't that, that level of intimacy uh, that you can get over putting in that kind of time. And I know that because I, I have spent 10 years on documentary photography and in interviewing projects in the past. And, you know, I had that experience. And then the other thing is, um, uh, so you probably know that with uh, that other film, um, sorry, what is it called again? Uh, One Million Trees. One yeah. Million Trees. Because there's also a really great book called Six Million Trees. And I don't know if you're, that's someone else. If you have not talked to Crystal, Crist, Crystal Durkowski, have you? Do no. You know called Six Million Trees. It's amazing. It's set in planting camps in, uh, in Ontario. She lives in the Yukon now. It's phenomenal. You have to talk to Crystal. Okay, I got to add her to the list too. We'll, yeah. We're going to chat about this afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, 
so there's that there's the level of intimacy and the interviews and they're also happening in camp and you know there's a difference when you're in camp than when you leave right mm -hmm. like uh early on in my project when people were advising me you know some said oh well it would be really interesting if you interviewed planters when they're not like what are they doing when they're not planting you know and uh, why don't you what do they go to what do they do like interview them outside that world and I thought, well, no, that's that's not what I want to do because um, you are to me like you are when you're tree planting, you're in the moment. You're a specific kind of person, and I think when you leave that world, like even if tree planting might affect who you are, on the surface, you're kind of just an ordinary person again, or you're a student, or whatever you might be. Right? It's in that environment you you espouse what it is and for for a film where the viewers have to take something from that i didn't want to take them out of that world i wanted the subjects to be in the moment living it as they're talking about it so stephanie is talking about these things and she's in the cut block doing it she's in that world so that was very important to the strategy and the aesthetic concept of my film it's a real immersion in that sense and then also in terms of the aesthetic vision that's a huge huge difference between our our films that was really interesting i really respected this idea that he had um that to collect i i believe this is true that most of the footage i think maybe he had a couple of cinematographers that were regular of, of, the, of his team mm -hmm. he sent out to a bunch of different camps i mean i think the visual yeah. footage comes from yeah, there's a lot of footage from the planting community that was like yeah. compiled in the right yeah. like from hundreds of different sources, which is amazing, right? That's like I think that's the most uh, compelling part of that film, really, uh, is in terms of uh, compelling. I should say, you know, uh, speaking of it at, uh, from an art art making point of view, like as a concept, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like. Uh, and that's something that's definitely because of the technology that's available now that people could do it. And I love that communal sense of it, right? And it meant that, you know, it looks like every tree planting camp has helicopters, right? Like I didn't get one helicopter shot. I tried, but it was just too hard. Like, so it's just me. So I was much more in a sense limited in that I couldn't, I couldn't have this incredibly broad wide scope. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a unit, I have a unified vision. And I mean, I don't mind saying, I mean, I am known for my visual acumen. I mean, I'm a world recognized visual artist and photographer. So there's a visual unity in my film. I mean, it's very, it's very much Rita Leisner's film. It's a, it's a photographer's film. It's a visual film. It's a visual poem. Um, I mean, it is so uh strategize in terms of color and form and flow that it's you know it's a unif it's like a poem it's a visual epic poem and uh so that comes from my my vision it's a very different it's a very it's hard to compare them even though on the surface they're about a similar thing yeah Both yeah have interviews but i think it's very hard to compare them which is wonderful right i mean the tree planting is uh, of course, it's 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 compelling enough that more than one person should make a film about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? Well, and you can do it from so many different angles. So that's, you know, like I did, I felt like a, a difference in it. So I was 
yeah curious about your perspective having yeah. made and, it you know, to and seeing I'm other like angles a 50, you know i'm a 50 something year old woman who's mm -hmm. experienced incredibly deep emotional traumatic things i mean all my time working in war zones it gives me uh, a level of empathy i believe well i think it's who i am as well i spent my life uh really trying to get at the heart of of emotionality, you know, and trying to find ways to represent that in my visual art as a visual artist. So mm -hmm. I took everything I'd ever learned in my life and I put it into this, this film. Uh, so it's a really different kind of object. I mean, I'm not going to make another film about tree planting, right? I'm not mm -hmm. going to be like, oh, that, I made that one. Now that I've made that one, I can make another one. It's like, no, this is like everything I have. Went that's into it. This. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's it. This is the the highest achievement of my art. Honestly, it's it's the most stunning thing I've ever made. And I'm fucking old, you know, well, <laughs> my mother always gets really mad at me when I say that. But I feel that way. Like how many more? I don't feel like I have another, you know, forest for the trees in me. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know about the tree planting film festival, right? That was like started by Summit Reforestation. Yeah, well, I remember that being started, and I honestly am not sure what, like, if it's still a thing or because I is. think it, so it, it, it kind of died off with COVID stuff. Like last year, was yeah. they sort of tried virtual, and so I, I wasn't really sure what was going on with it anymore. It is. It's it's like back. It's okay. back in action, and they okay, were going to cool. have a live in. Vancouver on the 9th but now it's gone online but it's gonna okay, be okay okay well yeah because let's talk about the film and of course it's coming out soon in Victoria but like so is this like its premiere has it been in some festivals already like well, where can has... where can people see it essentially okay so if you want to see it now if you're in British Columbia you can see this film you can either come to Victoria I'm going to Victoria it is going to be a scene man like it's uh, February, Saturday, February 12th at 5 p.m. So what is that like uh, two Saturdays from now? Yeah. If yeah, we can put those Victoria. we can put those details in the in the yeah. show notes too. Yeah. It is the first time the film is going to be seen by a live audience in Canada because of COVID. Like cool. the film has been out for uh, not quite a year. And uh, so it's screened online. It's screened online in Vancouver for a week in May as part of the Doxa Film Festival. But because of COVID, that's out of Vancouver, it cannot be live and I could not be there. I mean, I have, you know, um, so this is the first time it's going to be seen by a live audience. It's in Victoria, which is, cool. you know, one of the center for tree planters. Lots of planters so there, yeah. yeah. They yeah. are definitely hoping a lot of tree planters will come. Um, it'll be available online in British Columbia only for the duration of the festival, just like Google Victoria Film Festival. And then when you look up films, put in forest for the trees. And the other thing is that uh, it's really important for films to get noticed. And, and one way that a film can get noticed is through an audience award, which mm -hmm. shows that there is enough people that care about this subject for this film to be noticed outside this festival. So I feel like maybe we have a chance with Forest for the Trees to show how many numbers strong we are as tree planters to you know, watch this film, watch it online uh, if you can't get to Victoria or come to Victoria because it's gonna be crazy. It's at the Empress Hotel. It seats, I think 350 people. I think we should be able to fill this theater and 
And if you love the film, vote for it and tell the world that tree planters aren't nobody, you know, because believe me, I have struggled with this. Like, oh, no one's going to care about this film, but tree planters. And I'm like, well, first of all, my film is allegorical and metaphorical. It showed in New York City, which was the first place it was seen in a live audience two months ago. I promise you there was not one tree planter in that audience mm -hmm. and crying at the end of it. And wow. it didn't matter that they had never planted trees. And, you know, they said things like, well, this film isn't about tree planting. It's about the human condition. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is it. This is a film about the human condition. I mean, I didn't want to make a film about how do you put a tree in the ground? That's part of the film because to understand the emotional uh, resonance of what tree planting can do to change people's lives, you have to know about the work. So it kind of starts with what is the work so that by the time someone says, tree planting saved my life, you can buy it. Yeah, yeah. Buy no, and I really did like the visuals, like especially the one where you were showing, um, it was like a, a cartoon first and then the person um, with like showing the shovel opening yeah. the hole and putting the tree in. That was such a good visual, like the, the yeah. sort of the side view to actually see yeah. what it, yeah, that yeah. was cool. Well, the anime, Alex Kamza, who did the animation, is a tree planter. She yeah, I loved the animations. They were really right? cool. Yeah, I love those. Alex, who yeah. I met tree planting. Yeah, And cool. I said, it was her first film. Wow. And, you know, uh, we worked very hard on that. How do I thought, like, how do I want to show how a tree is planted? Well, we don't need another documentary with some guy in a hard hat going, so you put the shovel in this way, and this is what I'm like, let's show it in animation. Yeah. You know, much clearer. And then the composer on the film, that's the other thing is my composer is this unbelievable talent. So the music is great. And I had the, re uh, you know, I had the resources and to hire an amazing composer. And then, you know, uh, bands like Blue Rodeo, like gave us an, an amazing price on their on their music because they they like the film like that's how do you get a good price from a, a world-renowned band you know your mm -hmm. music supervisor sells them the film so there are all these other elements too of course the music and the sound design is it's just it's very high high level right um, yeah it is well and yeah it's like a full-length film you know for people who are wondering um yeah like it's an hour and a half it's an hour and a half. It's yeah, a, it's yeah, a yeah. It's but, really uh, cool. But yeah, I hope other people make more. I mean, how many films have been made about love? I talk about the, like there's never enough. Right? Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has a different. There's not also there's nothing new under the sun. It's just your own vision, right? So this is my vision, and uh, I just it's I put everything I have in into this, and uh, and I and also like my the film. If you're a filmmaker or an artist it's very much about filmmaking and being an artist because I couldn't help but draw the parallel between making a film and making art and planting trees. You know, like I say it all the time, you, uh, you plant a forest one tree at a time and you make a film or a long form photography project one picture at a time and you get through life or classically, you know, in recovery, they say you get sober one day at a time mm -hmm. and all these things run through it. And this is a film about tree planting. It's a film about recovery uh, of ourselves and of the land. And it's a film about making art and the sustaining nature of making art and the sustaining nature of community. And it's also just like visually 
Uh, you know, everyone says it, even festivals that don't take the, the film, it's very hard to get into festivals, but everyone says that visually this film will fucking knock your socks off and it takes you into this universe and uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, no, I can, I can agree for sure. Um, yeah, and that's beautifully put. So I could, I yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it, yeah, it was great. Yeah, no, I really liked it. Um, you know, it's funny for me because I, yeah, it's like you, you, when you've been in the industry so long, um, you know, I recognize people in the film um, that I've worked with. Uh, so that was kind of funny. And and yeah, just hearing, you know, the story, like that, not just every, well, every planter can relate to, every human can relate to in certain ways too, but just, you know, um, yeah, hearing those stories um, and, you know, drawing on my own experiences. And it always makes you like a bit nostalgic, um, you know, when you're not, when you're not planting. Um, so to see that kind of stuff and just bring up those kinds of emotions and, and yeah, like to show, it's always interesting as a planter to, you know, for something like this, that's kind of meant for anybody to watch. Um, yeah, just like those animations I was talking about and like the little, the little educational bits here and there to sort of show people a little bit about, yeah, like what planting is. Because um, that was also something that was done a little bit in One Million Trees too. So I just like the fact that those things are being done in general to kind of show people a little bit more, which of course never completely, you know, you got to go and experience it obviously to really get it. But I think it's cool that that kind of stuff is, is out there. And, um, and yeah, just hearing, hearing people's stories. Cause like I, I'm a storyteller and I just, I like, I like stories. So um, it's always just really nice to hear stories and, and yeah, to, to resonate as well with um, loss and, you know, highs and lows even like on the block. And so hearing some of those stories in the film, um, yeah, it is so, it's so universal. So, um, and yeah, just seeing some of the camp, like I, I've tried to like kind of stay away from bush camps for the last like few seasons um, as much as possible. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of more like in my, Old, not older age of planting but just like I like I like the luxury now of like not being in a bush camp basically um, but it's kind of cool to be like taken back into it and even with the party stuff and like because I don't really do much of that myself anymore either and um, and just like oh yeah you know that was pretty fun and actually the scene the scene where they're doing I don't know if that was like a rookie thing but there was a, a party night that you showed and it was kind Olympics, of pre-planting Olympics. And yeah, Olympics. yeah, that was it. Yeah. So they were like, they were like having to like chug a beer and then spin around and then what run over. Doing? And I remember doing that. Like, yeah, I wasn't sure like what, what that was about, but I, I had to do, you know, cause I started when this was still a thing. And so I had like rookie initiation basically. And it wasn't, it wasn't like bad. It was just whatever. Um, but it was like very similar to that. So when I saw that image, I was like brought back to my rookie year when like all the rookies had to like do these like initiation things on like the first night off, which included like chugging beer and then like planting a bunch of trees. And then we had to plot them to see our spacing and like, you know, all these like games. So that that imagery is like where where I was like brought back to. I remember that one um, on one of the nights off in the film. So well, the, uh, they enjoy it so much that the crew bosses all do, do it as well. <laughs> because they're good at it. 
So yeah. it's funny. It's like the rookies do it and then the crew bosses do it. And I'd never heard of that because we, we didn't do that. And well, and it, yeah, it reminded me too of like in my earlier years, um, there was one company I worked for in particular, um, artisan reforestation and yeah, we had, we just played so many games like on the nights off. It was really incredible. And I remember us doing like an Olympics one, one night off, or maybe it was several nights off. Like it was like, it was a whole production. So um maybe we were working four ones at that point but uh yeah so it kind of reminded me too of like all those fun times in my younger years um yeah so it's just it's I think it's nice for planters and there's so many like we were talking about before the interview started there's so much of the Canadian population that has planted even if it was just like a year or two when they were younger and then they like moved on from it you know not everyone goes for like a decade or longer and identifies with it as much but like I think it would be cool for people you know those kind of people too there's so much of the Canadian population that will see that and then be like oh yeah like that one season I did or the two seasons or the four seasons or whatever and it can kind of reignite that um you know with all those different scenes um yeah definitely for like the majority of Canadian planting because like you mentioned you know coastal planting is quite a bit of a different experience and as someone who's done both and there's definitely been more heavily on the coastal side. Um, yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of differences, but, um, but it's, you know, the essence is still the same. So. Yeah. Right. Like the film is also going to be screening in Salt Spring Island. They have the. Oh, cool. There. Nice. Um, nice. Festival, but uh, it's very, it's very small. And I think they, you know, very small capacity, but yeah, Victoria, you know, anyone who can get there. I know planters flying from Ontario to go to cool, it. And, cool, cool, uh, okay. You know, because like when it first it screened online and I just decided, I, I could have decided to hold off until there were in-person festivals, but no one knew with the pandemic. And so I just thought, I want to get it out there, even if it's five days online yeah, through yeah. DOXA. And uh and so some planters who had internet were able to watch it in their camps. And I was just at home during the world. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, that's the thing now too, in planting that I've noticed such a huge change in is just like the bringing of the rest of the world into planting camps yeah. now. Yeah. Um, whereas you, you used to have that isolation, which pros and cons to that. Right. But that's mm -hmm. been such a huge change now that I think is changing the dynamics a lot too, like within the planting camps um yeah, just having yeah. that younger generation just not knowing anything but technology right like yeah. I was a kid when the internet really took off so I'm like the last of a childhood like without it I feel like um because I even see my younger sister and her different sort of experience with technology yeah. and so it's like it's you know it's infiltrating more and more like for better or worse so yeah well I mean I when I started working on this there wasn't internet yeah camp, by and large it's as you said that's changed even in the last couple of years mm -hmm. and everyone I asked said they liked that so they like they liked that there was no internet so I don't know but I guess yeah. you come to the point where you don't know the difference but everyone liked that I was I was a little bit surprised they're like no we love that that we're we love to be away from that and I certainly liked being away from it for a while mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but Okay, well, I always like to ask um, this question in closing, Rita. So, um, you know, with all of this, all your experience, kind of, you're able to like sort of dust your hands now of, of 
you know, your goals you had in tree planting, they're sort of like completing now, which is really cool. So with all that being said, what is one piece of advice you would give anyone who is considering going planting right now, um, or perhaps has already, you know, decided they're going to go and will be going tree planting for their first time this season? Um, get to know people with more experience when, than you. So when you go out there, like, like talk to the, uh, the vets, talk to the vets, because they're the ones with the knowledge that's going to help you become good at what you're trying to do. Talk to them, listen to them. They're the experts. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if people, if vets would think this is a good idea, but I've, I've, if I were starting planting for the first time, what I would do, because I remember I hated making my lunch. And actually when I was making my film, my assistant made my lunch for me because I was too busy. Uh, you know, I would find a, a kind veteran who, you know, was maybe somewhat willing to impart their knowledge and say, you know, hey, if I, if I like make your lunch for a week or I do your laundry on day off, like, would you plant with me for an hour and show me some tips? You know, don't ask people to give you something for nothing ever in life, honestly, like, like they might, but, but, you know, people work hard and they, they earn what they know and what they have and, and, uh, you know, time is money and, and they, who knows, but, but that's what I would do. I would something like that. If I were a vet and someone said, I'll do your laundry on the day off, uh, or I'll make your lunch for a week if you let me plant with you for an hour, I would have, I would have been like, Hey, that's fucking smart. I am totally going to help you. Like, you know how to operate and that's going to make you successful at anything in life, you know? Yeah. No, that's great advice. Well, Rita, thank you so much for, um, you know, finally a few years later, we reconnect and, and do this. And um, I just want to wish you the best of luck with the screening in Victoria. Um, I'll definitely, you know, we'll try and get it out there and get the word out. Um, so hopefully yeah, I'll have a win, you know, full house of planters. Get an audience award so that other festivals be like, wow, tree planters strong, man. Like, let's just, you know, I don't know. Cause what are there going to be a lot of other films there about lots of other subjects, but are they going to have, you know, hundreds or more or thousands of tree planters with the ability to, to watch it and say, Hey, this is about us. We matter um yeah yeah no thank you so much thank you so much for having this podcast this is a long 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 talk but great <laughs>